On May 25, 1955, two women were on duty at a watchtower in Loveland, Ohio. It was a quiet night in the suburban Middle America town, but they had an important mission. They were watching for Soviet aircraft. These posts were part of a Cold War defense program to protect the United States from aerial attack. The government encouraged civilians to set up watchtowers and spot unfamiliar aircraft, which was why the two women scanned the horizon with binoculars, even though they rarely saw anything out of the ordinary. However, at 7.48 p.m., the women spotted several unidentified objects in the sky heading towards them. They didn't look like any aircraft the women had ever seen. They were perfectly round saucers, and they flew in attack formation. The saucers zoomed past the towers at high speed. One passed so close it made the whole building shake. Fearing for their lives, the women fled the tower. They reported the UFOs to the state capitol in Columbus, Ohio. The authorities immediately dispatched fighter jets to the area. But by the time the jets passed over Loveland, the saucers were nowhere to be seen. This sighting was one of many UFO encounters that summer. They culminated one fateful night when the town of Hopkinsville, Kentucky, became the site of an alleged alien invasion. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know, but in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is our second episode on the Hopkinsville Goblins, one of the longest and most violent alleged extraterrestrial encounters in U.S. history. Last time, we investigated the Sutton family's testimony of strange alien invaders that attacked their home and the subsequent shootout. We also discussed the police investigation and media fallout in the days after the incident. Today, we'll explore similar sightings and a U.S. government alien investigation program called Project Blue Book. We'll debate what might have actually happened at the Sutton farmhouse and how the event contributed to a larger pattern of UFO paranoia. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? Hi, I'm Jason Palmer, a host of The Weekend Intelligence, a podcast from The Economist. Join us to hear the stories that matter most to our correspondents and editors. 
Every Saturday, we introduce you to people and ideas that take you outside the ordinary and expand your horizons one episode at a time. Join us and see the world from a new perspective. To listen free until May 31st, search Spotify for The Weekend Intelligence. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Just after 11 p.m. on August 21, 1955, the entire Sutton family burst into the police station in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. The eight adults and three children claim to have spent the past four hours trapped in their house, shooting at little creatures from outer space. They said the invaders had arrived in a flying saucer that had landed in their tobacco fields earlier that evening. The aliens were about three and a half feet tall with pointed ears, yellow eyes, and long limbs with huge claws. The Suttons claimed the extraterrestrials had marched right up to the house with their arms raised above their heads. And even under fire, they kept coming back. Soon, a whole caravan of investigators arrived on the scene, but they found no evidence of an attack. There was no carnage from the shootout, no blood, no bodies. No one saw a flying saucer. There was nothing to corroborate the Suttons' story. As word got around about the Sutton's run-in with the so-called Little Green Men, the family faced ridicule. The public laughed at their story. Newspapers made them the butt of flying saucer jokes. Many accused them of perpetrating a hoax. But the family wasn't alone. In the months before the Hopkinsville incident, a wave of extraterrestrial encounters swept through the same region and many of them were similar to the Suttons. On May 25, 1955, three months before the Sutton attack, a man named Robert Honeycutt was driving home from his restaurant shift in Cincinnati, Ohio. It was about 3.30 a.m., and Honeycutt sped down a deserted stretch of road. He claimed his headlights illuminated a group of men kneeling on the grassy shoulder and Honeycutt pulled over to see what was going on. As he approached the group, he realized these weren't men. They looked like aliens. The creatures were about three and a half feet tall with long, gangly arms. They were gray and didn't seem to be wearing any clothing. Their mouths were a straight line, like frogs. They had bald heads and no eyebrows. The figure in the middle raised its arms above its head. Honeycutt saw sparks darting between the creature's hands like a welder's torch. He crept closer to get a better look when all three turned toward him and stared in silence. Honeycutt felt like he'd interrupted some kind of ritual. It seemed like the creatures were using the sparks as a signal, like they were communicating. As soon as Honeycutt moved again, the creatures reportedly slid toward him in perfect synchronization. Terrified, Honeycutt ran straight back to his car and sped away. 
He drove directly to the house of Loveland Police Chief John K. Fritz. A little after 4 a.m., a visibly shaken Honeycutt told the chief all about the little men. His testimony was very similar to what the Suttons would report a few months later. Both accounts featured aliens that were short and gray, with no clothes, and both stories shared the same specific detail, that the invaders raised their arms above their heads, almost like a signal. But Fritz didn't buy it. He suspected that Honeycutt may have been drinking, even though he couldn't smell any alcohol on his breath. Fritz decided to go look for himself, but when they got back to the spot on the empty road, the creatures were gone. Chief Fritz figured that Honeycutt was making the story up, but six weeks later, another witness allegedly encountered the same creatures hundreds of miles to the south. On July 3, 1955, Margaret Simmons and her husband were driving on a lonely country highway near Stockton, Georgia. The couple was originally from Cincinnati, Ohio, not far from Loveland, where Honeycutt and the Watchtower encounters had occurred. But now, they were nearly 700 miles away from the previous sightings. Simmons was at the wheel. Her husband was asleep in the back seat. It was around 3.30 in the morning, the same hour when Honeycutt had his alleged encounter. On a dark stretch of highway, Simmons thought she saw a pack of animals in the middle of the road. But as she drove by, she supposedly saw that it was four little men digging at the road with sticks. Once again, one of them had his arms raised above his head. According to Simmons, the creatures wore hats and capes like little witches. They were a grayish color, and their eyes were large and reflected reddish light. They had round heads, short legs, and long arms, and their hands ended in lengthy claws, just like the Hopkinsville creatures. Simmons didn't stick around to see any more. She sped away as fast as she could, all while her husband slept through the whole incident. Simmons didn't tell anyone except her closest friends about what she'd seen. They warned her that no one would believe her, at least not until the Suttons had their violent encounter about two months later on August 21st. Simmons recognized the similarities between her story and the Suttons, so she came forward with her testimony the next day. The newspapers embellished both Simmons and the Suttons' accounts and labeled the creatures Little Green Men. The descriptors stuck permanently in the public mind. By the end of August 1955, little green men in flying saucers were ingrained in the cultural imagination. UFO mania was taking the country by storm, and the reports of strange creatures and flying objects kept piling up. But that doesn't mean there actually was an uptick in alien visitations. Perhaps something else secretly slipped through the skies. A threat from an Earth-bound enemy, the Soviet Union. Coming up, the Air Force looks into the Hopkinsville case, searching for evidence of a communist invasion. Imagine living with a secret so big that if anyone ever found out, it would change everything. Imagine carrying that secret with you every day 
desperate to one day get it off your chest. Do you think you could take a secret like that to the grave? I'm Estefania Hageman, host of the new podcast series, Deathbed Confessions, the show where we dive deep into the most explosive things people have admitted to while drawing their last breath. From murder, fake identities, heists, illicit affairs, and even top government secrets. This season on Deathbed Confessions, we investigate cases like Frank Thorogood, the construction worker who claimed that the drowning of Rolling Stones founder Brian Jones was no accident. Margaret Gibson, a silent film actress who, while dying of a heart attack, confessed to one of the most famous unsolved crimes in Hollywood history. And ex-CIA officer Howard Hunt, who on his deathbed confessed to playing a role in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Deathbed Confessions is a Spotify original from Parcast, airing episodes weekly starting July 21st. Follow and listen to Deathbed Confessions for free on Spotify. Now back to the story. In August 1955, Americans were on high alert for UFOs and aliens. A wave of strange, similar-sounding sightings swept the nation over the summer. Newspapers prominently featured stories about flying saucers and little green men. The growing public fear of an alien invasion rivaled concerns about a Soviet invasion. After all, the USA and the USSR were in the midst of the Cold War. It was only natural for people to be on high alert. On the night of August 21, 1955, while the Suttons were holed up at their farmhouse near Hopkinsville, their neighbors watched the skies. Many of them saw strange phenomena that seemed to corroborate the Suttons' later reports. At 6.30 p.m., a man who lived south of the Sutton farm saw something bright pass over his house. It looked like a fireball, and it was headed north. About a half hour later, the Sutton's family friend, Billy Ray Taylor, claimed to see a spaceship hovering over the Sutton's tobacco fields. This wasn't the only strange celestial sighting that night. Around midnight, while authorities searched the Sutton property, a state police officer dined at a restaurant a few miles outside of Hopkinsville. Suddenly, a loud shriek like artillery fire erupted from the sky. The police officer looked outside just in time to see unidentified bright lights streak through the air. They looked like celestial fireballs and seemed to be traveling southwest towards the Sutton house. The officer thought they were falling stars, but they didn't look quite right. He'd seen a meteor shower a few weeks before, so he knew what the phenomenon was supposed to look like. These lights were larger, brighter, and they made noise. That officer wasn't the only one who saw a weird celestial event that night. Another Hopkinsville local spotted a red streak flashing across the sky just before dawn, right when the Suttons said the creatures finally left for good. These stories all pointed to the possibility that on August 21, 1955, the area around Hopkinsville experienced a meteor shower. The timing of the UFO sightings coincided with the annual Perseid meteor showers, which typically last for several weeks between mid-July and late August. 
Perhaps Billy Ray spotted a meteor out in the fields and mistook it for a spaceship. But that doesn't explain why the police found a glowing patch on the Sutton's lawn the day after the alleged alien attack. Nor can it account for the aliens themselves. Assuming the family's testimony was accurate, some kind of creature swarmed across their property that night. Officials with the U.S. Air Force determined that the strange lights and the little green men were worth investigating. After all, any UFO could be a Soviet bomber invading American airspace. Plus, whenever a sensational flying saucer story made it into the newspapers, the media and the public bombarded them with questions. They had to say something. On August 25, 1955, Four days after the Hopkinsville incident, the Air Force Office of Information in Washington issued an official statement. They claimed there was little evidence of extraterrestrial encounters, not just in Hopkinsville, but ever. They'd been investigating reports of UFOs since 1952 through a program called Project Blue Book. Military investigators had looked into over 12,000 UFO sightings, and only about 6% of them remained unidentified. The rest were attributed to birds, kites, searchlights, and weather balloons. In some cases, Blue Book ruled that people had mistaken stars, planets, and meteors for alien spaceships. But even if the government could explain away most UFO sightings, the American people were still swept up in alien mania, which was dangerous. In times of international conflict, public fear could be used as a weapon. In 1953, the CIA had compiled the Robertson Report, which concluded that foreign enemies could use Americans' belief in UFOs against them. They could use extraterrestrial hoaxes as psychological warfare to cause panic and undermine public trust in their government, which made it important that officials debunk whatever reports of alien spacecraft they encountered. But there was another, darker reason why the military was interested in UFOs. It was a convenient cover for their own secret activities. Many unidentified flying objects were actually related to secret government tests. In fact, the CIA had admitted that over a half of the sightings from the 1950s and 60s were U-2 jets conducting surveillance operations. U.S. officials had to walk a careful tightrope. They wanted the public to be somewhat credulous so they wouldn't learn the truth about their secret military operations but they didn't want to tip the scales so far that people would panic about fake alien invaders. When an event like Hopkinsville hit the newspapers, the government had to determine which approach to take. If the sighting was actually a military plane, they might let the UFO rumors run wild. But in the Hopkinsville case, the Air Force chose not to open up an official investigation, which implied that the incident wasn't worth covering up. Perhaps the Suttons didn't encounter a top-secret military craft or real aliens. After all, the military was not impressed by the Suttons' story. One government memo said that the testimony lacked factual data and was too fantastic to be believed. 
The Air Force had its own theories about what actually happened to the Suttons. One report speculated that they were the victims of the power of suggestion. Perhaps they'd heard about the many other UFO sightings in the area that year. They could have been influenced into believing that they were targets too. To make matters worse, Mrs. Lankford reportedly attended a church with a reputation for working congregants up into a physical frenzy. Attendees often shouted, danced, or waved their arms wildly when their spiritual ecstasy overtook them. On the night of the attack, Mrs. Lankford and her sons attended a church meeting that probably left them frazzled and emotional. Their mental state might have made them more predisposed to jump to conclusions. After church, the family discussed a magazine article that had fascinated Mrs. Lankford. The story included a photograph of a so-called alien invader, a short, silvery creature. But the picture was a hoax. It depicted a monkey that had been painted silver. And in a bizarre coincidence, on the night of the alleged attack, there actually were monkeys near Hopkinsville. On August 21, 1955, a traveling circus passed through the area. It stopped a few miles outside of town so the animals could exercise. A few monkeys might have wandered toward the Sutton farm during the stopover. This seems especially likely when you consider that the creatures the Suttons saw resembled primates. They had long arms that they used to propel themselves as they ran. Some monkeys used gestures like raising their arms to communicate. Of course, these monkeys probably weren't painted silver and they wouldn't have glowed green. But most people can't see colors in the dark. Our cones, which are the part of the eye that distinguishes color, need bright light to work. So it's possible that the Suttons imagined the green glow and silver, especially if they were highly emotional anyway. But remember, the following morning, nobody found any blood or bodies at the scene. It seems unlikely, bordering on impossible, that the Suttons could have fired at a group of monkeys and never hit any of them. Furthermore, the circus never reported any missing animals. Nevertheless, the Air Force found the monkey theory reasonable and didn't bother investigating any further. That said, monkeys weren't the only animal the Suttons might have seen. In 2006, writer Joe Nickel noted that the Hopkinsville case was similar to two other strange animal encounters that occurred in the 1950s and 60s. In those incidents, the creatures were eventually identified as owls. Nickel postulated that the Suttons were attacked by great horned owls. These nocturnal birds are about two feet tall. They have large yellow eyes and their feathers are often light gray. They have very long wings and talons, all of which fit the Suttons' descriptions. Furthermore, great horned owls are most active between dusk and dawn, which is when the family experienced the attack. Plus, the owls can become highly aggressive when defending their nests. If the creatures were owls, that might account for the Sutton's testimony that they floated gracefully from one spot to another. But Nichols' owl theory has the same problem as the monkey possibility. It's hard to imagine that experienced hunters like the Suttons and Billy Ray Taylor would miss every shot they fired. 
and yet there was no evidence of injured or dead owls the next morning. However, the alleged firefight might have revealed more than the Suttons realized, and investigators found inconsistencies in their spent ammo and the bullet damage in the house. Which led them to conclude that the Hopkinsville incident was all a hoax. Coming up, holes in the Sutton's windows reveal the holes in their story. Now, back to the story. Throughout 1955, UFO sightings filled magazines and newspapers with stories of little green men. Public fear of a potential Soviet invasion only fueled the excitement. And the Hopkinsville encounter was so astounding, its press coverage continued for weeks. But it didn't take long for skeptics to offer several alternative explanations for the family's story. The Air Force concluded that the Suttons were predisposed to see aliens and had misidentified ordinary animals. Other investigators believed the Suttons saw meteors. Before long, another possibility emerged that the Suttons may have lied about the whole event. Police identified several elements of their story that didn't add up. For instance, J.C. Sutton claimed that while shooting at the creatures, he used up four entire boxes of shotgun ammunition. That's about 200 rounds, yet investigators found only a few shotgun shells near the front door. There was no evidence of an epic gunfight that had lasted for hours. More discrepancies appeared around the holes in the window screens. The Suttons said they fired at the creatures from inside the house, blasting through the screens. The firefight did leave holes, but they were all different shapes and sizes. Many were too small to have been made by a shotgun blast. One was perfectly square. Some investigators thought that the Suttons might have poked a wooden stake through the screen. Then, when the police came back the morning after the alleged attack, they found new holes that hadn't been there the night before. The Suttons explained that the creatures had come back and they'd resumed shooting at them, but the officials didn't buy it. They surmised that when the Suttons had realized that the square holes weren't convincing, they'd tried again. Billy Ray's inconsistent testimony only made the police more suspicious. He was prone to exaggeration and largely regarded as untrustworthy. And of course, he was the only member of the Sutton family who actually saw the supposed spaceship in the yard. And when Billy Ray described the creatures to sketch artists, he included details that differed from the rest of the families. But this led to a new question. If Billy Ray was lying, why did he do it? There was one obvious answer, money. Especially since Billy Ray and Lucky Sutton had experience turning fanciful stories into cold, hard cash. The two had met while working for a traveling carnival. They were well-versed in the kinds of sensational hoaxes that flourished in that environment. They'd hawk titillating shows with alleged hybrid creatures or midway games that looked easy, but were actually rigged. 
And just a few days after the Goblin incident, the Suttons put up a sign on their property listing admission fees just like in a carnival show. However, the sign may have just been an attempt to capitalize on a bad situation. The Sutton House had already become a tourist attraction, whether they liked it or not. If they couldn't make the crowd go away, at least they could make them pay. And the Suttons didn't need to be lying on purpose for their story to be completely made up. They could have imagined the whole incident, and the hallucinations may have been fueled by alcohol. Many people figured the Suttons must have been drinking to cook up such a bizarre adventure. A wild shootout with attacking aliens fit the stereotype of drunk, bored, gun-toting farmers. But when investigators searched the Suttons' home, they only found a few empty beer cans in the trash. This certainly wasn't enough to make eight adults drunk enough to hallucinate an alien encounter. Unfortunately, the rumors that the Suttons had been inebriated that night dogged the family for years. Mrs. Lankford resented how newspapers portrayed them as a bunch of alcoholics. Eventually, the Suttons stopped talking publicly about the case altogether. Which did little to stop the gossip. Many Hopkinsville locals were all too willing to believe the worst about the Suttons, in part due to their socioeconomic status. When prominent citizens like Chief Greenwell reported seeing UFOs, they were taken more seriously thanks to their social standing. But the Suttons were viewed as poor country people. They didn't get the same benefit of the doubt. None of the Suttons had much education beyond grade school. They also didn't have a lot of money. Their house lacked running water. They didn't own a telephone, radio, or TV. Their exposure to the outside world was limited. As a result, people made assumptions about their credibility. They wrote the families off as ignorant, easily fooled, and prone to telling tall tales. In the eyes of the townspeople, the Suttons were just hillbillies who'd tricked themselves into seeing things. It's notable how quick the general public was to dismiss the family's testimony, especially given how unique the Hopkinsville alien encounter was. Although many UFO incidents have only one witness, the Suttons had 11. And for the most part, their stories were consistent. While most UFO encounters only lasted for a few minutes, the Suttons said the creatures were on their property for hours. Finally, there's the battle. Most alien eyewitnesses were passive, but the Suttons actually tried to fight the creatures, if we take them at their word. But maybe we shouldn't. Because the Suttons' testimony might not have been evidence of extraterrestrial invaders, but of societal change. In the 1950s, Americans were obsessed with science fiction, interplanetary exploration, and the Soviet Union. The space race was revving up. On July 30, 1955, only a few weeks before the Hopkinsville encounter, the United States announced its first satellite launch. Voyages to the moon and beyond became a real possibility. No one knew what humanity would find out amongst the stars. This was the heyday of speculative science fiction, including stories that imagined attacks from another planet. 
Even Hollywood tapped into the fad with films like It Came From Outer Space and Invasion of the Body Snatchers. The fascination with aliens seemed to be rooted in anxiety about a technologically superior species taking over the planet or alien spies infiltrating Earth's society. These themes were stark mirrors of American fears about the Soviet Union. This was a period where Americans watched the skies for aerial attacks and built bomb shelters in case of nuclear fallout. In addition, the government was highly secretive about its military operations. It's no wonder that people interpreted strange lights in the sky as signs of extraterrestrial life. Even today, there are often more reports of UFOs during times of political, social, and economic uncertainty. According to the National UFO Reporting Center, during the coronavirus pandemic in 2020, the number of UFO sightings in the United States went up by about 1,000 to a total of over 7,200. That's nearly a 15% increase. In New York alone, reports doubled. Which means the Suttons had many reasons to convince themselves that space invaders were attacking their house in 1955. But that still doesn't tell us what they really saw, if anything. They may have imagined the whole incident. Or maybe the similarities between the Hopkinsville case and other UFO encounters are proof that aliens have visited our planet. Perhaps whatever attacked the Suttons is still out there, waiting to return. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back next time with a new episode. For more information on the Hopkinsville Goblins, amongst the many sources we used, we found Close Encounter at Kelly and Others of 1955 by Isabel Davis and Ted Blecker, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, Never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Jay Cohen, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Kirsten Liu, with writing assistance by Andrew Messer and Angela Jorgensen. Fact-checking by Cara Mackerlein and research by Bradley Klein. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. <laughs> <laughs>